Good morning. Happy Easter. Um, anybody in here from West Virginia? Good. So there were... Uh, <laughs> see, my, my kin folk is from West Virginia, so I have, I have the right to be able to tell this. There were three West Virginians who died and went to heaven. And they stood at the, at the pearly gates before Peter and, and said, and Peter asked them, you know, in order to get in, you have to tell me what the meaning of Easter is. So the first West Virginian gets up there and he said, well, it's that time in, in, the, in the winter time where we get around that pine tree thing and, and we give gifts to each other. And Peter's like, nope, sorry, and sends him down. Next West Virginian gets up there, he goes, well, he's picking his one tooth. He goes, well, well, that's that time in, in, uh, in the fall where we get around the table and we argue with one another about politics and we eat turkey and all that. He said, nope, sorry, that's not right. The third West Virginian gets up there and he's, boy, he is proud of it. He's the guy who invented the toothbrush, right? Because anywhere else in West Virginia, if it wasn't invented in West Virginia, it would have been called the teeth brush. So he's, he's up there, he's impressed, he's ready. He's like, it's that time in the spring where we all remember the time where Jesus rolled back the stone from the tomb and he came out and if he sees his shadow, there's six more weeks of winter. <laughs> Just a little uh, April fooling there, if you will, before we get started. Of course, we all know what the meaning of Easter is and why we gathered and we've, uh, I, I feel our worship this morning, both the songs and our, our time in front of the, uh, the uh, Lord's Supper has done due diligence uh, in remembering Christ's death and life and burial and, and resurrection, of course, as we think about Easter. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, a part of our reading that we had last week. Of course, the reading from last week was Luke chapters 12 through 16. Uh, and This morning, we're going to look at chapter 15. We just heard the, the first uh, two parables from, from Jesus' teaching there. What do you think of when I say the name Mike Brown? Or how about Pete Rose? How about Osama bin Laden? Now, I'm not saying Pete Rose and Osama bin Laden are the same people. I'm just, what comes to your mind when you think of those names? Or how about Mother Teresa? Have you ever wondered what God thinks when he thinks about you? There are things that influence what we think God thinks of us. The first of which is, what do I think of me? I've had a bad day, I've had a bad week, or maybe you've had a good day or a good week. But what categorizes a bad or a good day for you? That's what helps influence what you think God thinks of you. Now, another influence to that is, what do others think of me? You know, our behavior and our actions matter, right? What do others think of me? You see, the problem with these two influences, however, is when, we, when we're considering what God thinks of us, is that those influences are human, emotional, and social considerations. It's how we actually categorize or judge others or worry 
ourselves about what others think about us. It's where a lot of anxiety and self-consciousness comes from because we care so much about what others think that we take what we think others think and we implant it into what we think God thinks of us. Everybody on board that train? See, what we consider a bad or a good day is likely very different in God's eyes. It's something that is probably unimportant or uninfluential to Him. Do we think that God's love is calculated or determined based on a performance review? How we've behaved or, or the actions that we've done. You see, God doesn't take advice from man about what He thinks of us. In fact... What if God thinks totally different about what He thinks about when He thinks about you? Everybody's confused, right? That's a good thing. Because Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God thinks differently than we do. But I think I know what God thinks about when He thinks about you. He loves you. I know this because of Jesus. Because as we have done so this morning, as we remember His resurrection, and hopefully we remember that every day, we must remember what He did also on the cross. And that was love. I also know this because of what Jesus has to say on this topic throughout Scripture. As we've looked so far this morning, as Matt read, the two, uh, the, the uh, first couple of sections here of Luke chapter 15. Look at the first two verses of Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing uh, near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we have two groups of people here. Right? We have sinners and we have the righteous. We have those who follow the law and those who disobey the law. Those who obey and those who do not. Two groups of people. Those who are called righteous today, those are considered the saints, right? Those who have obeyed and been added to his kingdom. But we can't lose sight, however, that every saint has a past, every saint has a story. Have you ever considered the fact that the people that followed Jesus, they were nothing like Jesus. And they actually liked Him. And what's even more amazing is that He actually liked them back. There was a meme that went around Facebook not too long ago that uh, I shared on my Facebook page that not too many people talk about the miracle of Jesus and that He was in His 30s and had 12 very close friends. But the thing is, is that those 12 very close friends were totally different from Jesus. Many of them were fishermen, sailors. Ever heard the statement? 
mouth of a sailor. Fishermen were rough people. That's a rough job. Got a sailor that's about to go off to the Navy. Watch your tongue, boy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but see, Jesus and God as well, John three sixteen through 17. For God so loved the world, and what kind of people are in the world? That He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but why? In order that the world might be saved through Him. So remember the groups of people that we have here. We have the righteous and we have the sinners. Those who keep the law and those who break it. Now, let's consider the story. The next parable that Jesus teaches often referred to as the prodigal son. Now, before we get to that, though, we need to look at the setup. Right? This was the, these were the two sections that, that Matt read this morning, the two stories that Jesus gives beforehand, both parables, both focused around lost and found. Right? You have uh, the sheep, the lost sheep, and how the shepherd goes out and, and, and goes and finds this one sheep out of the hundred that he has, this one sheep that went astray. He went out and he looked for it and he found it. And he brought it back and was re- and rejoiced. I found my one sheep. Or the woman who had ten coins and she lost one and she did everything. She cleaned the house. She moved the furniture. She did everything that she could to find the one coin that she lost. And when she found it, she rejoiced. I want to tell you a story. This thing on my hand, this hand, uh, not handcuff, um, wedding band. <laughs> wedding band, that's what it's called. Sorry. Uh, Words are mixed up today. Um, it's funny because this is probably the first Sunday I've worn it in a very long time. Um, because I haven't been able to get it on my finger, but I've lost enough weight now that I, actually, I can actually wear it now. Well, back when we were in college, I would say, was it 2009 probably? 2008-ish? I don't know, whatever it was. No, it wasn't that long. It wasn't too long after we were married. I was in college, and I was playing intramural sports. I played softball. My dad told me a story when I was a boy that uh, he played softball when he was in the military. He had his wedding ring on, and a ball hit his finger, and it uh, made his finger swell up so much that they had to cut the ring off. And so I never wore my wedding band when I played sports because I didn't want that to happen to me. This was before silicone wedding bands and everything. So I went to the sports field, and I went uh, and got ready to play softball. I took my ring off, and I don't know what I did. I think I put it in my shoe. And then played the game, got done, went home. Where's my ring? I can't find my ring. I'm a young married man, folks, and I've lost my wedding ring. The thoughts that go through your head, I'm a dead man, was the first one. But the second one is just utter remorse. And I told Sarah, I can't find my ring. I think I left it at the ball field. So we go out there and we search for probably an hour until we saw security coming around because it was after curfew. We were married, but still they didn't like when people were out on campus after curfew. And uh, I never found it. I never found it. Fast forward several months. And for some stupid reason, I was out near the baseball and softball fields hitting golf balls in an open field. They called a driving range. It was just an open field. And I hit the worst golf ball of my life. 
which isn't hard, but it was, it was bad. It shanked all the way to the right and onto the softball fields. And so I went over to go get it. And while I was over there, I was like, huh, I'm going to look in this dugout. And I, I kid you not, and I'm going to get emotional thinking about it because I got emotional that day. I went into that dugout, and for some reason I looked under the bench, and under the bench, just on the edge of the dirt that had gathered under the bench, I could see a little ring. But I thought, nah, that was, it's just a soda cap. And I almost walked out, but I thought, no, let me pick it up. And sure enough, it was my wedding ring laying there in the dust. <laughs> and I called Sarah in tears. I was like, I found it! I found my ring! And those weren't tears of sadness, they were tears of joy. And when I, when I read those two stories in the Bible about the woman finding the coin, you think, she lost a coin. I mean, how many times have we lost a penny or a dime? And we're like, eh, whatever. Well, that was something to that woman. But when I found that ring, I rejoiced over the lost being found. See, Jesus sets up the parable of the lost son, which is, by all accounts, a very extreme example of what the lesson Jesus is trying to teach. But he sets it up with real-world examples for the crowds that are listening there to be able to understand what he's saying. Of course, there's going to be shepherds there. There's going to be poor people there who treasure even the smallest of coins that they have. It's all circled around what happens when something that we've lost is found. Now let's look at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through the end of the chapter here. As we look at the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son, depending on what your uh, Bible heading says. Verse 11, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. This son says, I want my stuff. Liquidate what you've got and give me what is mine. You notice that the father didn't scold him. father doesn't say, no, wait your turn. He does what he was asked. He complies. But he also gave his brother, the older brother, his share as well. That's important. All right, we'll look at that a little bit later. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And he squandered his property in reckless living. So he took everything that his dad gave him. And he took all his clothes and took everything. And he went off and he spent everything. And he lost it all. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So now the situation becomes quite extreme, doesn't it? Taking what would likely have been a normal occurrence, a son requesting his inheritance early on and Now it turns into a much dire and and serious situation. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, 
He said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. It says, when he came to himself. That means he came to his senses. And this is an important part because this is repentance. And we'll talk more on that in a few minutes, as this is one of the major points within this parable. But the other important point is coming up here in verse 20, and that's compassion. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and embraced him and kissed him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now remember, before this, he, he was thinking ahead that what he was going to say in verse 19, he says he was going to say also, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But his dad doesn't let him get there. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he interrupts him. He says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this, my, this is my son who was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now let's pause here. Now in our Wednesday evening Bible study, we've been going through and we've started talking about the parables of Jesus. Now this is one of those parables, so it's important to kind of understand parables a little bit. Parables often tell a kingdom truth. Okay? The main characters of the stories, of the parables, are often God and the people, represented by different things in the story. In this case, God is the Father. And the people, uh, the sinners, right? Remember, we have two groups. We have the sinners and we have the righteous. The prodigal son, the lost son, he's the sinners. He represents the sinners. And the older brother, who we'll get to in a moment, he represents the righteous, the Pharisees. So with that in mind, we see the compassion of God and the Father here. We see that his lost son, when he sees his lost son, a sinner, someone who insulted him, who embarrassed him, who shamed him, When the father sees him far off, he was moved with what? Compassion. Does God feel compassion for you and other sinners even on your or maybe their worst day? Compassion is a major theme in God's ministry, in Jesus' ministry. And it's one of the main points of this story that Jesus teaches. You know, 14 times this word is used to describe the feelings of our Lord towards the sick, towards the hungry, and towards the lost. One example of this is in the story that we looked at last week, the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, verse 33. It says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, the injured Jewish man, he had compassion for him. When Jesus saw the multitudes in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, the Bible says He had compassion on them, for they were lost sheep in need of a shepherd. There's a nice little tie-in to 
the first parable that Jesus speaks here in Luke 15. Romans 9 verses 15 through 16 says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It doesn't matter what you do. It's up to God who has mercy. It's not works. So does God have compassion like this for sinners? Does He have compassion like this for the righteous? Remember, repentance is another major point in this story. Let's look at the older brother now. Verse 25, Luke 15. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. What's going on? Verse 27, And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. This older son, a good, loyal, and faithful son to his father, remember, he didn't take his earnings and go off. He stayed and worked. He was in the field. But he's angry at his father. Because... What seems to him is an unfair treatment. Look, Dad, I, I took what you gave me. I stayed here. I was a good son. I, I did for you what you needed. I, I attended the fields. You didn't, you didn't do anything for me like that. Listen to what his father does. Verse 28, his father came out and pleads with him. Just a quick note, just as he did with his younger son, the father goes out to the older son. So when we look at the two people, you have the sinner, right, the younger brother, and you have the righteous, who's the older brother. Both of them, God, the father, went out to. And he goes to the older son, the righteous one. He goes to him and he pleads with him. Verse 29, but the, uh, the older brother answered his father, look, These many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead. And is now alive. He was lost and is found. What do you think of the statement that Jesus uses there in verse 31? You are always with me. This is one of, if not the number one message in the whole Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 through 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John Piper wrote, The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. 
It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. Repentance is our path to reconciliation. It is only through Christ and His sacrifice, which was an act of compassion, can one be reconciled to God. But you see, the Pharisees, they miss this important point. They spend so much time and energy on meticulously keeping and holding others to their traditions and missing God's desire for His greatest creation to reunite with Him. When you look throughout the whole history of the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New, it's just a long book of God trying to unite with His people. He made a covenant with Israel. He said, look, I'm going to give you this ark. You carry it into battle before you as we're talking in Joshua in our Sunday morning class. This is my symbol. This is my sign. This is my battle flag. Or the temple. The Holy Spirit resides in the temple. God desires to be with His people. The temple is destroyed. Why? Because Israel's disobedient. Does the Holy Spirit ever re-enter that temple? When Jesus re-entered the temple... Jesus walked into the temple, and when Jesus died and that curtain was torn, the Holy Spirit never went back. Because it's only through Christ that one can unite with God. Have we missed this important message as well? You know, the Pharisees played church. All right? And sometimes we may fall into that trap of just playing church. We talked this morning about preparing ourselves, preparing our minds for worship. Do we just come here and sit in the pew because, hey, it's Easter. i got to be there on Easter, right? It's that one day of the year that I should probably be there, or maybe Christmas. Why are we here? What is the reason for our being here? The Lord's Supper to remember Christ's death, to proclaim His death until He comes, is why we gather. Why is it so important to proclaim His death? Because without that death, without that resurrection, nothing matters. There is no eternity without that. What about the ending of this story? What about the ending of the prodigal son? There is no ending. I don't think it needs one. See, these two brothers, which does the father love more? Of the sinner and the saint, which does the Lord love more? Oh, when we look at the stories that that set up the parable, the shepherd doesn't love that one sheep that went lost. Right? He doesn't just love that sheep. He loves his other sheep too. But he loved that sheep enough to go out and find it. Or about the woman. She didn't desire that single coin only. It wasn't like that was the most 
precious of coins that she had and she needed to get just that coin back. No, she wanted to find that coin and reunite it with the other nine because they were lonely. God loves all. The sinner and the saint. Now this truth is often muddled with and toyed with because we, we don't like to say that God loves sinners. But He does. But see, the fact of the matter remains that it doesn't mean that because God loves sinners, that those who disobey and those that don't reconcile with God, those that continue in sin, aren't going to face punishment. That doesn't mean that they're free from punishment. Well, God loves me. He's not going to punish me. Wrong. Punishment is an act of love. As a kid, that didn't make sense. Punishment hurts. Right? And the Bible even talks about that. In the moment, it doesn't seem fair. In the moment, it hurts. In the moment, it doesn't feel right. But what happens from punishment, you grow from, at least in this life. But unfortunately, that's not how punishment will ultimately be in the end. See, the young son, he repented and he reconciled. But had he not, he would have died. He would have died in a pig pen, in mud, longing for the pods that the pigs were eating. The same punishment is there for those who disobey the Lord. Minus the mud, minus the pigs. It may be there, who knows? Probably not. What we read about, though, is a lake of fire. And I know that people don't like to hear about the fire and brimstone. But the fact remains that punishment is there for those who disobey. Luke chapter 16, the next chapter uh, and the last chapter in our reading from this week, talks about the fact that we all live somewhere forever. Our bulletin note talks about that in great detail. So if you didn't grab a bulletin note, please do so, because uh, I talk about that a little bit more in depth there. But there are only two places in the end where everybody will go. It's either eternal life or everlasting punishment. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. I closed out with a similar verse last week. We're going to do the same this week. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." In the parable of the lost son, in verse 31, the father says to the older son, he says, Son, 
You were always with me, but and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, the son was angry because the fattened calf had been killed for the younger son. That fattened calf represents Jesus. The father went out to the son and killed the calf in order to celebrate and reunite and reconcile with the son. If this isn't a reason to rejoice, to remember Christ's death, burial, and resurrection every day, I don't know what is. This truth should move from our eyes and our ears as we read it in Romans chapter 5 and throughout all of Scripture, and it needs to set up a permanent residence in our hearts. We'll come to not only understand God's love for us, but also be better and we'll be better at reflecting that love, that light in our own lives by forgiving the unforgivable, by loving the unlovable. Have you ever made a mistake? <laughs> I see someone shaking their head, no. <laughs> Liar! Have you ever made a mistake in your life? How big of a mistake was it? How did you handle it? Most of you know I love baseball. Baseball started back up. And yes, the Reds have lost two games in a row. Not a shock. In 1986, the Boston Red Sox were playing the New York Mets in the World Series. The Red Sox were one strike away from being the world champions when Mookie Wilson came up to bat. Mookie hit a routine ground ball to first base. I could have fielded it. It was that easy of a hit. It wasn't hard. It was just a nice, easy roller to first base. And all that needed to happen was for the sure-handed, 20-plus-year veteran, former Gold Glove winning MVP, Bill Buckner, to field that ground ball and step on first base, and the game was over. Many of you probably know what happened. The unthinkable happened. Bill Buckner missed the ball. He took his eye off the ball, and it went between his legs. The Mets went on to win that game, Game 6, and they also won Game 7 and the World Series. And many blamed Buckner. Buckner's error, after all, was on national television for all to see. And until Boston won the World Series, I think it was 2004, when they won the World Series, every time they went to the playoffs and failed, it was called the what? The curse of Buckner. Buckner's curse. King David commits an error much greater than missing a ground ball in the World Series. He commits adultery. He commits murder. He lies and he brings other people into his sins. Instead of his error being on a national stage, on national TV, it's mostly private and he thinks it'll, it'll probably remain secret forever, right? That is until Nathan, the prophet, brings it to light. Buckner's error came from not controlling his glove, but David's multiple errors came from not controlling his heart or not controlling his lust. What is so powerful is David's reaction once he is confronted about his lack of self-control. He responds with godly sorrow. 
sincere regret and a desire to be right with God. He rests in God's forgiveness and goodness and vows to tell others of His mercy. We all will fail and have failed at using self-control in our lives. But the question is, how will we respond? How will we respond to that? In the way David did? With godly sorrow, with repentance, with seeking forgiveness? How will you respond today? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He came into this world out of love and compassion for mankind to save the world from their sins. Mark chapter 16, verse 16 says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not will be condemned. Put on Christ this morning. Reconcile yourself with the Father. He loves you and He has compassion for you. It doesn't matter the errors that you've made, how big they were, how big you think they were. Jesus washes them away. The Father has gone out to us by sending His only Son to be the atonement for our sin. If we can assist you this morning with that, with baptism, Or if you have any other need that we can assist you with, now is the time that you can come forward while we stand and sing.